This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We have yet another fugitive. And this one does not have as many ties to like this time of year, but um, it was an interesting one. Had you ever heard of this guy? Uh, I had heard of Eugene Palmer. Um, uh, <laughs> actually, the reason he sticks out, it's not funny. None of this is funny. Oh my goodness. Eugene Palmer sticks out in my head because I actually felt like they took him off the wanted list because he was so old. And then I don't know what I was thinking, but you're like, well, it only happened like so long ago and they only put him on the list, you know, so long ago. And uh, you were right. But uh, that's why he stuck out to me. Well, not to mention his crime. Yeah, so this is a this is a kind of a weird one. It happens up in Stony Point, New York, which is in Rockland County up in New York. I've been up there. I think you've been up to that area too, right? Like I don't know that I've been here, but yeah, I've been all over upstate New York, yeah. So this is a a really really small town. Like so the town itself probably has 10 or 12,000 people in it. The county's a little bigger. It has, uh, I think it's probably got about 350,000 people there. This case, it, it's unusual for a number of reasons. It, um, I don't see a lot of cases where the, if like, I, I would say like domestic homicides where the two people involved don't actually have a blood relation or a, uh, I guess, I guess there's a marriage relation, but they're not a couple. Um, this is a strange uh, dynamic between the two because it's um, the father-in-law killed his daughter-in-law. Yeah. So Eugene Palmer becomes the 523rd fugitive to be placed on the 10 most wanted list for the FBI. Um, he goes on the list on May 29th, 2019, and he comes off the list in July of 2022. The background on this case for, like, I guess, like the the wiki version of this, it doesn't have much to do with Eugene Palmer. Uh, Eugene Palmer's son, John Palmer, was married to a woman named Tammy Palmer. And the couple, 
John and Tammy, they lived together with their two children at a property at a property that was owned by Eugene in, in this town, Stony Point, New York. Uh, in for sort of geography purposes, Eugene lived next door to them. Now, the relationship between John and Tammy began to deteriorate, and they started seeing other people. So Tammy Palmer filed for a restraining order against John, and whatever was in this restraining order application enraged Eugene. So Tammy had threatened to file for divorce, and she had made it pretty clear that her intentions were to um, try and get the house and the land that she was living on, which was not John Palmer's, but was Eugene Palmer's. So this started a feud between Eugene and Tammy, basically over this domestic incident that would culminate in a heated confrontation several days uh, before Eugene Palmer uh, allegedly murders Tammy. Now, you can find this on the FBI.gov website. CNN did a couple of write-ups here. Uh, there is a Wikipedia entry. There, there's a number of like little sources that uh, sort of tell parts of the story. The, the bare bones of it is, on the morning of Monday, September 24, 2012, Tammy Palmer walked her two children to their school bus. And the theory is that Eugene Palmer lied in wait uh, in the woods and on her walk from where she dropped the kids for the school bus back to her home, Palmer allegedly began firing his shotgun at her from a distance. And the first, the first shot struck her in the arm. The second shot missed. But the third shot, which was uh, as he was advancing on her at much closer range, hit her in the chest and proved to be fatal. After the shooting, Eugene fled the scene in a green Dodge Ram pickup truck. This truck would later be found abandoned at Harriman State Park nearby. The idea was that Palmer ditched the truck here and he fled into the park on, on foot. So police called in search dogs and they followed Palmer sent to a campground in the woods. But despite multiple searches and a lot of effort, no further trace of Eugene Palmer has ever been found. So about nine months later, they issue a federal arrest warrant for Eugene Palmer on June 10th, 2013. And depending on who you talk to in this case, some family members believe that he went into the park and died. But according to the Haverstraw police and the FBI, no body has ever been found in spite of multiple searches of the area. Now, Palmer is much older uh, than your average perpetrator. When all of this happens, he's 73 years old. And that's in September of 2012. So if he had survived, he'd be 83 years old today. At the time that this happened, he was on multiple medications, including medications for heart condition and medications for diabetes. 
Now, he was considered to be an outdoorsman. He was an experienced hunter, an experienced fisherman, and an experienced hiker. He was also described as being a, a car enthusiast. And the FBI on his wanted poster, they put that he has a deformed left thumb. And I'm not even sure what that means. Well, it's just a, it's a, it's something that if you're questioning if it's possibly him, if, you know, there's a weird looking left thumb, it starts weighing towards it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been 10 years since this happened. They have put a lot of effort into finding this guy. Um, And ultimately, nothing has come of it. Uh, one of the fascinating things about this case is, uh, it's, so it's another one that's been featured sort of on all of the things he's in the first episode of the revival of America's most wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. he's featured right at that time. Yeah. Yeah. He was also, uh, one of the episodes of in pursuit with John Walsh and unsolved mysteries had done a podcast and, uh, 2021, and he is the subject of one of those episodes as well. Right, and so anytime uh, any of these fugitives that we're talking about that were on uh, the FBI's most wanted list, uh, they if it was on the air, they're going to have been at least mentioned in uh, America's Most Wanted, or uh, Unsolved Mysteries, or whatever, right? Because that's literally where they get a a lot of their content from. Correct. Which makes sense, right? Oh yeah. And so it took, so what do you, uh, what do you know about the cycle there? Like as far as the murder happening in 12, warrant being issued in 13, uh, going on the most wanted list in 19 and then the removal, like, What do you think was happening with the case? This is one of those cases where it gets even weirder. So first of all, it got national news coverage back in 2013. Like a lot of national news coverage. Like there was a whole expose that was published in the New York Times. The New York Times ran an article called Into These Woods, uh, Suspect in a Killing that Vanished a Year Ago. And it focuses on like the local area and talking about how large the park is that he walked into at Harriman state park. And the fact that it's riddled with like bears and rattlesnakes, but that it's pretty rare that people go missing there and aren't ever seen again. Like right off the cuff, there's sort of a reason for him to be on the most wanted list early. Now he doesn't make it on until 2019. And there's some other things that happen after he goes on that list. Really once he gets on, uh, the list in 2019, the FBI executes a series of search warrants. One of the things they do is they search the home of his granddaughter, uh, who's a woman named Jamie Lynn Rose, and they don't find any evidence of Palmer. Um, But it does take quite a bit for a federal search warrant in a case like this to be executed like that. So, I was reading through all of this. Uh, You can find some of this in uh, recordonline.com, which is the Times Herald record. CNN's got some articles on him, the New York Times. There's a Wikipedia article. There's a couple of different uh, sources for the information we're sort of talking about today. Now, in the Times Herald record, as recently as August of 2021, Eugene Palmer's sister, who is Elaine 
Babcock, she told the Journal News, and Times Herald is requoting it, now I'm requoting it, that immediately after the shooting, that her brother had sought legal protection against his daughter-in-law after she came after him with a log. So she basically picked up a piece of firewood and went after him. She also said that her, her brother went to her house shortly after the shooting, and he confessed that he had killed Tammy, but then he took off. His house was very close to Harriman State Park, and multiple sources point out Harriman State Park is like 45,000 acres, basically. It spans two counties in uh, both Rockland and Orange County. His truck was found off of Willow Grove Road. Now, Jamie Lynn Rose has been pretty open about this. She's gone on to social media, and she talked about the raid on her house. She essentially said that the the FBI search warrant and subsequent raid related to that was traumatizing for her and for her children. Um, she said that they basically handcuffed the kids. They raided the house. Uh, there was furniture that was broken. Guns were pointed. According to Rose in her social media posts, and then NBC New York, pick, uh, they picked this up as well. They said that there were 40... FBI agents involved. That's a lot. I don't. When did that happen? This is in 2021. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. I think whatever is found here is sort of the death nail for him being on the most wanted list. Now, it's a year later when he is basically removed from the most wanted list, but I think whatever is going on with his uh, granddaughter here is uh, somehow related to him being removed. So you think they found something? I think, I think they found some evidence that he's maybe no longer alive. I don't know what that would be at this point. And I actually, so I went and looked at the, like the sources that are available. Uh, I sort of, when something like this is going on, so first of all, New York is a very complicated state to search archives in. First, there's every name you could ever think of is always in New York. And the biggest problem with New York is New York City is there and it's not separate of the state in most instances. So when you go digging, it's overwhelming. Yeah, when you go digging through the archives, it's, it's definitely overwhelming. I will say that there were multiple things found over the years that like I had to do sort of a deep dive on. And we'll, do, we'll talk about that. And then we'll, so once we talk about like sort of what I did to, to see if I could figure anything out, we will then talk about, I call them odd things, but they're really pretty standard things as far as when someone's missing like what they look for. The first thing was there was a human mandible found in November of 2019 uh, in the woods uh, in a, in an area called Tuxedo, New York. Have you ever heard of Tuxedo, New York? Only in passing. Okay. So Tuxedo, New York, they find a mandible and then a crew goes in and it does, I actually think it's a search and rescue crew. I don't think it was like archeological or forensic, they look around this area and they find subsequent human remains. And that's in November of 2019. 
What's interesting about this area is every other unidentified human remains that I found either didn't match the gender, didn't match the race, or they were found prior to the incident between Tammy and Gene resulting in Tammy's death. I have not seen where this guy has been included or excluded in the remains that were found in 2019. And on top of that, the police came out uh, in the area there and they stated uh, the remains have been there for quite some time and that everything available at the scene made the remains unidentifiable. And I don't, they said there were significant signs of um, predation and then they sort of dropped it. My Are thinking, they saying they can't DNA test anything? When you go and look, so on NamUs, this is medical examiner's case OC19-699, but NamUs case number UP64340. There's a lot of things you can typically find from a NamUs entry that are missing here. And so the biggest thing is the contacts on this are the New York State Police. They have a senior investigator that was assigned to the case. There's no images. There's no documents. There's no circumstances. It just says the recovery circumstances were subsequent to a hunter discovering a human mandible in a densely wooded area. Additional skeletal remains were recovered from the general vicinity. The remains appeared to have been exposed to the elements for an extended period of time with obvious signs of predation. This is in Orange County in Tuxedo, New York. It's not recognizable. Everything related to the descriptive things you would find in a nameless entry, which if you boil it down to gender, race, ethnicity, etc., you can sometimes see age groups, age ranges, time of death, approximate time of death, um, height, weight. All of those things related to this are unsure, uncertain, cannot determine, cannot estimate. My thinking is they don't have anyone else in this area that would match whatever they found, but they have no way because of the age and the weathering, I I guess that would be the right word, the weathering of the bone. um, Potentially, they have not been able to um, even get a race or a gender out of this. That makes me think, that their belief is this is probably his remains. Now, I will say in that area up there, there's a, there have been a lot of missing people. Um, so there are a couple of things they could do as far as like anthropological measurements to get closer to what they're thinking of. But I haven't found any missing persons in Tuxedo, New York that match this. The nearby areas, it's a little different when you go to searching them. Here's sort of an odd tidbit. This is one of the things that drives me looking at these fugitive cases. So, Eugene is a fugitive. Eugene Palmer is a fugitive who made the FBI's top 10 most wanted. But in the state of New York, Eugene is not a missing person. I don't know what to say. I mean, nobody reported him missing, I guess. He Well, so he's a fugitive, right? They're clearly seeking him. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I get it. So, it, like, aren't fugitives also technically missing people? Well, there's been... There's debate about that. And uh, my personal uh, take on it, which doesn't mean it's right, um, is that in order for law enforcement to, to declare uh, and report or file a missing person's report, someone has to ask them to do it. And it has to be somebody that has a valid reason for reporting someone missing, right? So it's going to be like somebody you live with or your next of kin, right? Uh, it can't be your high school friend from 20 years ago because like... Right. You see what I mean? And so law enforcement has to get a missing person's, uh, you know, report in order for there to be a missing person. I don't think that that happened here because like they knew where he went. Yeah. And so I don't think law enforcement um, can just take it upon themselves to make a missing person's report. I don't know that that's correct, but that's been my understanding. Well, In fact, I think if you go to file a missing person's report, they even make sure that like you're somebody that, like has a stake in doing so, right? Yeah. And so uh, one of the Hudson Valley news sources up there has an article from uh, September of 2014 by Marisa uh, Nikosha and Steve Lieberman, where they sort of write about uh, like the aftermath. And uh, the, the title of the article on IOHUD.com is simply a year later, Family seat closure, Tammy Palmer shooting. And the article reads, one family visited a cemetery on Tuesday to mourn the loss of a mother and daughter while relatives of the man believed responsible for her violent death one year ago planned to revive their search of Harriman State Park for his remains. Both families, the, the Panarellos and the Palmers, are seeking closure after the September 24, 2012 shooting death of Tammy Palmer, which capped weeks of tension between her and her father-in-law, Eugene Palmer. Tammy Palmer, 39, was married to Eugene Palmer's son, John Palmer. Family members and authorities believe that 73-year-old Eugene Palmer, who disappeared into the park the morning of the shooting after confessing the slaying to his niece, has since died in the woods. He has been indicted on a second-degree murder charge and his daughter-in-law's death from three shotgun blasts. Tuesday became a day for remembering both Tammy and Eugene Palmer, said Sandy Murky, a friend of both sides of the family. Everybody lost someone that day, and lives were changed. What happened a year ago is depressing for everybody, and everybody needs closure. As she prepared to mark the anniversary uh, by visiting her daughter's grave at St. Peter Cemetery, Violet uh, Panarello, who was 73, said in an emotional interview that Eugene Palmer somehow survived, that if Eugene Palmer somehow survived and subsequently faced trial, then that would be justice served for her family. He was a woodsman. He was a big hunter. So anything is possible, she told the Journal News. I don't know. I wish he's alive so I can see him in jail. I want justice for my daughter. The Penarellos, who won custody of their two grandchildren after a bitter court battle with John Palmer, 
in 2013, said the family has been struggling to cope with the tragedy. At the same time, Panarello said her husband has been ill. Um, they named the two kids here as um, Rosemary, 17, and John Jr., who is known as John John, 13. So that's 10 years, almost 10 years ago. Um, we're both students in the North Rockland School District. Um, Panarello said they have suffered the most. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying. It's not easy, but we love them dearly. The teens stayed home from school Tuesday to the, observe the anniversary of their mother's death. Meanwhile, Eugene Palmer's family hopes to find his remains so they can properly say goodbye. The family believes their patriarch, who suffered from heart disease, diabetes, breathing issues, and other ailments, succumbed to the unrelenting environment and the weather. The elder Palmer's son, Clarence Palmer, and his childhood friend, Kevin Rose, plan to go back to searching the Harriman Woods when the temperature drops, they told the Journal News in an exclusive interview on the anniversary of the shooting. The men suspect the elder Palmer might have gone to an Indian cave he found two years ago during a hunting trip. They became convinced based on the reactions of two police dogs during a previous search where the canines smelled decomposing human remains. I was there with the police when the dogs reacted to what police said was the smell of a decomposing body, Rose said Tuesday in the Lake Welch parking lot off of Willow Grove Road. The stench was harsh and I nearly threw up. Before Clarence Palmer and Rose venture out, they're buying snake chaps or cowboy-style pants that could prevent poisonous rattlesnake bites. Bears and rattlers have greeted the duo before, and they are not a deterrent. Their one wish, aside from finding Palmer, is that the Haberstraw police would join them again and bring along a search team with dogs. I'd love the police to get back in the woods, and I would help them, Clarence Palmer said. We need their help. Havistral Police Detective Sergeant George Lutz was noncommittal on Tuesday about the department calling in the dogs. Lutz said the homicide investigation remains open, while Rose and the Palmer say the police have visited friends and family members who've been searching for Eugene Palmer. Lutz said he wasn't aware of dogs marking any sites. We're proactively looking for him and taking every action we deem appropriate. The case has to go on until we either find him or we find his remains. While Clarence Palmer hopes to one day bury his father in the family plot at St. John's in the Wilderness Church inside Harriman State Park, the memories from a year ago continue to haunt him. There's not a day that goes by that it's not on my mind, he said. None of what happens makes sense. He was a quiet guy. He kept to himself. I don't know what made him snap. At the end of the day, we lost my father and the mother of my niece and nephew, who was my brother's wife. Whatever their problems, they were together for 17 years. The elder Palmer and his daughter-in-law had an increasingly tense relationship that stemmed from the marital strife between Tammy Palmer and John Palmer. And then it goes on to describe like where they lived and, and you know, sort of the relationship between them all. Um, and it says, in April, friends and relatives gathered to celebrate what would have been Tammy Palmer's 40th birthday. They had a cake and they sang, happy birthday. Violet Panarello said she had to leave the room to compose herself. I have bad days every day. No mother should lose a child like she died. So that's the family a year out from the murders talking. Now, in some ways, this case gets even weirder. I noticed, and I'm not judging anybody for this, I noticed that there were times when 
and I think it's been within the last year or two, her daughter, Tammy Palmer's daughter, Rosemary, um, is has been raising funds for a headstone. And you had pointed out some of the different things that were said there. Uh, she even talks about the Jamie Lynn Rose's house being raided. And so Jamie Lynn Rose is Rosemary Palmer's cousin. Supposedly, John Palmer's family members have continued to be tracked by the FBI off and on, uh, even up through that raid that I was talking about there uh, in 2021. I don't, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how I feel about like declaring people dead. And uh, this one has like one of those weird lawsuits attached, I guess. It happens short. So, so there's a court battle that takes place like into 2013. John Palmer loses custody of his kids to the Penarell family. And then because of that situation, the Panarellos, Tammy Palmer's relatives, they go after Eugene Palmer's assets. And the lawyer in, in that situation basically files for those assets, which because he's a fugitive and he's on the run, some of those assets are like frozen. Like you can't be disposed of. The idea is that they, they don't want Palmer to have additional resources to get further away and, and to be a fugitive for longer. Uh, supposedly he gave his niece after the shooting cash to pay up the property taxes for, for some time into the future. Now, while everybody is sort of split, like, is he missing or is he dead? The, I think, I think the FBI probably has evidence that they consider taking him off the wanted list like that. I think they consider him to be dead, which kind of makes the 2014 ruling on point. Go ahead. Well, I mean, possibly, but it sounds like there's other heirs involved there. So I'm not entirely sure uh, why they would get his entire estate. Well, they don't get the estate entirety and uh, in, in its entirety. This made USA Today in 2014, by the way. There's a USA Today article by Steve uh, Lieberman. Now, he was actually writing for the Journal News and USA picked that up on the wire, but it went national, I put that in quotes, on September 22nd, 2014. And here's what it says. Accused killer's grandkids get $2 million of his assets. The two grandchildren of accused killer and fugitive Eugene Palmer have been awarded more than a million dollars each from his estate in the wake of the shotgun killing of their mother two years ago. New York State Supreme Court Judge Gerald Lohr uh, awarded $2.15 million, the estimated value of Palmer's property and bank accounts, following a two-month inquest into the death of Eugene's daughter-in-law, Tammy Panarello Palmer. Uh, the judge ruled the children, 17 and 13, were entitled to their grandfather's assets. Isn't that all of them? Well, we'll get to that in a second. After the finding that a fair preponderance of credible evidence showed that Eugene Palmer 
killed his daughter-in-law on September 24, 2012 on his property off Willow Grove Road in Haverstraw. Now, Palmer, 73, is under indictment for second-degree murder. And after Tammy Palmer died, Palmer spoke to his niece about the shooting, gave her cash to pay his property taxes, and drove off in his truck, found less than a mile away up a fire lane in Harriman State Park. He's been missing since, with his family believing he died in the woods of the sprawling 46,613-acre state park. Uh, Family members said he suffered from diabetes, a heart condition, dementia, and other ailments. While his estate can be liquidated under New York state law, Palmer remains presumed alive until proven otherwise. This is from attorney Robert Marcus. Well, I feel like it was the entirety of his estate. Well, Robert Marcus represents Violet Penarello. So the ruling also included another $150,000 that would be divvied up between the children and their father. Right. At, At the time this happened... So remember, there's a custody battle, and the Panarellos come out on top in 2013. And I'm just pointing out this specific sentence because it is kind of important. Their father, who has custody of his children after a long dispute with their grandparents, Violet and John Panarello. So at some point, do you follow what I'm saying there? Like, grandparents had custody, and now John Palmer's got custody back a year later. Right. So they were just going after the money? I don't know. Robert Marcus said his office plans to file a judgment for the money with the Rockland County Clerk's Office and then later take up the case in surrogate court. So there's more to be done with this down the road. Well, but that was in 14, though. So yeah, that we was... We are it down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're going to get a little perspective of this down the road. We're going to get the down the road perspective of this. I was just pointing out that, like, so when you have a protracted custody battle and then you have a judgment in place for this type of money, uh, lawyers get very diligent. Uh, and Mark has said that Eugene Palmer's three and a half acre property on Willow Grove Road and his property upstate could be sold. And that his office was searching for all of Palmer's bank accounts, um, including the ones that were frozen after the shooting death to prevent him from using the money. And he says that the money will be placed in an annuity for the children, for their college education and other needs. I, um, when you have this kind of action going on in court, a lot of that money is gone before it's awarded. Um, I say this because lawyers' fees for all these filings are very, very, very expensive particularly you're talking upstate New York in what is essentially present day. I mean, it'd be a little different. They have very high taxes. Yeah. So that money, like I know they're saying there's going to be an annuity. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of money left at the end of all well, this. They're only starting with 2 million. Ultimately it's really none of our business, how much money was there or anything like that. But like, it just seems weird to me that, It seems like it should have been awarded in the form of a judgment as opposed to, like, they got his estate. They do. uh, uh, You're right. The judgment ultimately on paper is for his estate. 
I'm just so confused because, um, Sarah, you've got two separate things happening there. You've got the fact that he killed their mother and they sue for something, wrongful death or something, right? Yeah. And um, so they get awarded this $2 million. But, you know, in the event that he's declared dead, that's when, like, his estate situation would happen, right? And so... It, it would be probate at that point, yeah. I feel like they really mixed two different things happening there together. Um, as far as declaring like they were awarded his estate, right? They mixed um, a lot of stuff together here, including the custody battle. And so I think that there's a few things here that uh, are worth saying. And I'd like to try and do so without uh, victim shaming. But I, you know, it is what it does. I feel like this was a tremendous waste of resources, and the reason I say that is this man was not a danger to this to society. Okay. He was not a danger. Um, his daughter-in-law was making threats in, you know, in a in an angered state. I don't know what the problems between the two of uh between her and her husband were, but she threatened to take the land, right? She threatened a 73-year-old man that she was going to take his land from him. She's She had successfully gotten her husband kicked out of, like, by court order, right, from coming to where she lived on the property. He was outraged. He was getting yeah. revenge, okay? This man was not a danger to society. He, it was a straight-up revenge killing. Now, they said he had he might've had some dementia, right? Uh, that's something that can exacerbate, uh, feelings, right? Uh, yeah. people that have dementia that, um, you know, they're, they're not quite interpreting everything. And so while she may have said it like, you know, in jest, she may have been completely serious. Uh, she might've had every right to be, you know, saying I'm going to take whatever from you. But it exploded, right? Uh, and he said, well, I can't let her take my stuff. I'm just going to have to kill her. And then I'm going to walk off into the woods and die. There was no reason for him to be on, the, on America's Most Wanted, um, on the FBI fugitive list. He never presented any sort of danger to society as a whole. He doesn't to this day. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, this guy's not the type of fugitive that we should be dumping a lot of resources into. And I think that Lutz, the detective they talked, the detective sergeant that they talked to in there, he kind of hints at that back in 2014. Like, you know, they can go look, but I'm not super interested in, in putting my guys on this and spending money on this. Because, you know, this is a guy that likely had a heart attack from all the activity that he just went through or slipped into a diabetic coma because he didn't have the right balancing agents from his medication. And, you know, more than likely, he he has long left the earth on oh, top I of think, not being a danger. I think that he would have succumbed to like, I mean, he was mad enough to kill the mother of his grandchildren. OK, like that's how irate he was now. Uh, should he have done that? Well, no, he shouldn't have. Um, no, murder is terrible. Like it's never <laughs> it good. Terrible, but like, and and you know, a victim is a victim is a victim. Okay, and they're you know, if you're murdered by someone else, you're a victim. However, 
you can't uh, push people's buttons endlessly and expect nothing to happen, right? right. So I feel like, um, you know, people get divorced all the time. It's like, I mean, everybody gets divorced. It's more likely you'll be divorced than not, right? And uh, there's ways of dealing with it that don't involve making threats, hurting people's, I mean, people's feelings are going to get hurt. But I think the third party element here, like the fact that they, I think they lived in a house maybe that they owned that was on his land. So it's weird, right? Yeah. Okay. And anytime you've got that sort of weird dynamic there, uh, you got to think about a 73-year-old man going, I have got this woman who has kicked my son off the property, and now she's going to take I don't know what the threat was made, right? But he he was so outraged by it that he felt like he had no other choice. He was feeling helpless. Um, and he might have taken it seriously. She might have meant it seriously, but is that really like an amicable way to handle things? She had no, she wasn't entitled to his land that he had worked his whole life to have. Right. I, it's a, this is a terrible, terrible situation for everybody. But it, it, it doesn't help when you exacerbate it like that, when you make it even, no. he, he shouldn't have even been involved at all. Right. Correct. She should have never made any sort of, you know, accusation, like I'm going to take your land. Uh, in that case, if you want a divorce, since you're living uh, on your father-in-law's property, I suggest you move. Yeah. So, you know, this case coming out on the hunt with John Walsh, of course, they're affiliated with CNN. So CNN covered it again, uh, I think in 2016, it pops up. And, you know, the, so what I'm saying here is sort of, 2016 based, but they're talking about looking for a 77 year old man and they're talking about it. Like, you know, there's been this bloody family feud and like they go through and the talking heads sort of get like some bits and pieces of uh, like John Palmer talks in there. Uh, Denise Palmer, who's the sister in there. And they just, you know, they treat it like they're looking for a bank robber or they're looking for someone who, you know, is, going to pop out of the woods at any moment with a shotgun. And that's not the situation. The mainstream, while limited, the mainstream coverage of this has been like an exercise in hyperbole. Well, and then when you said that there was 40 agents that raided um, the granddaughter's home in, what did you say, 2020? 2021. 2021. So nine years later, 40 agents scare the crap out of a mom and her kids. I'm sorry. They need to find better things to do. Well, they had a tip is what they said. Ultimately, they they said that they had received information about the possible whereabouts of uh, Eugene Palmer and that that is what they based Okay, well, he com- essentially he committed suicide in sort of a, a passive way, right? I mean, we talk about this. People walk out into the wilderness to die, right? It happens. And that's what a lot of cases where people um, aren't found, you know, some of them did it on purpose. Now, you know, who am I to say, well, this guy did it on purpose, I think. 
And if he had shot himself right there, right? Like instead of taking a passive approach to suicide, he had just directly done it and left his body where everybody could find it. Yeah. This would have been a domestic issue that none of us would have heard about. Yeah. So, you know, it makes America's most wanted. It makes, uh, on the hunt with John Walsh. It makes the unsolved mysteries podcast. I just want to say, so I pulled up like the old, you get a special flyer when you make the most wanted uh, top 10. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, it's got the FBI seal on it and you know, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. So this is the description they have at the time. By the way, the pictures of this guy, he has like um, sort of an odd, I, I call it a, a chin beard. So it starts at like the sideburns and it like runs along and underneath his bottom lip and then back up the other sideburn, but there's no connecting mustache. And it like, there, there, like a lot of times there's like sort of this um, picture that I have. Of, it's almost a cartoon character that I think of when I think of people who wear this chin beard all the time. But you know, in one of the pictures, like you've got this older man, he's smiling and in two of them, he's got glasses and he looks a little like a grumpy grandpa. And in one of them, like he looks like super serious. Like he's, he's like staring at it. But then when you read the description of um, what they're saying is, you know, it's Eugene Kenneth Palmer or Eugene Kevin Palmer, because that's what they have on here. Uh, they say his date of birth is April 4th, 1939. His hair is gray or balding. This dude's head is slick, man. He has nothing on top by the time like all this happens. He's five foot 10, 220 pounds with brown eyes. He was born in New York. He's male American. His left thumb is deformed. And then it says he's known to be interested in auto racing as a car enthusiast and an experienced hunter and outdoorsman. And then says there's a reward of up to $100,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Eugene Palmer, which, by the way, that's a different thing, but rewards are always bullshit. Keep that in mind, folks. Caution is what it says at the bottom of this. Eugene Palmer is wanted for allegedly shooting and killing his daughter-in-law on September 24, 2012 in Stony Point, New York. After a local arrest warrant was issued for Palmer in Rockland County, he was charged with murder. A federal arrest warrant was issued on June 10, 2013, where Palmer was charged by the United States court for the Southern district of New York with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. But at the very bottom in giant blue letters, what do you think it says? Uh, Armed and dangerous should be considered to be armed and dangerous. Okay. Can you, uh, is my perception wrong that he was never dangerous to society? He was never I mean, dangerous to like he like he was dangerous in this situation. This guy went to the far side of the park and he died. Right, but he was never going to hurt anybody else. Nobody else was there to take his land. Well, right, and that's what I'm saying, and I'm trying to do it in a way that I, I don't want to make the I don't want to victim shame. Okay, but there is a huge difference in a fugitive that um, is literally like going around killing people for like no good reason. Right. And um, somebody that has had a domestic issue with their daughter-in-law that got out of hand. And (laughs) this is, uh, this is why does, 
to me, it makes me wonder, well, who are the fugitives? If we've got this guy on, you know, at this point in time, and it was just for a short while, right? Right. Um, he makes the top 10 most wanted. Um, and, you know, he's the 500 and some odd guy that's been put on that list. And so right. I'm going, well, how does he get to the top there, right? Like there was nobody worse at that point in time. Uh, that could have taken that spot. Because to me, the FBI should be wanting people who are, in fact, dangerous. This man wasn't dangerous. He was irritated at his daughter-in-law. And it's almost rightfully so. I mean, she might have had a reason to be irritated at him as well. Now, normally, you can't just kill somebody because you're mad, right? <laughs> you never should do that, ever. But you should also strive to not make somebody mad. <laughs> I I don't even I don't even subscribe to that part of it. Like like if if this is all going on and it, like if she's attacking him, which is there is a report, there are multiple sources, both sides of the family say that at some point they had had physical heated confrontations. It is rumored that she picked up a piece of firewood. She picked up a log, a piece of firewood, and she tried to hit him with it. If that's the case. It's self-defense. And and if she came at him, he just got tired of it. It doesn't make the murder right. It just lets you understand the headspace. And I... I would have to see like some substantial information otherwise to um, get on the level that this got here. Um, as far as like all the, you know, most wanted and all that stuff, it's ridiculous. Well, what, what we, okay. So we're covering fugitives because we have an interest in, in missing people. And we definitely have an interest in this particular uh, fugitive I would say my interest here is because the narrative that's spun in the national media and all these different true crime content spaces is that this guy was like on the on par with the DC sniper. And that's simply not the case. And you should take everything you consume in terms of true crime content with a giant grain of salt. And this particular fugitive is exactly why that's the case. Don't you agree? I do. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I think that uh, to think that uh, this guy's armed and dangerous and, you know, actually, you know, his entire life was right there in that three acres of land, right? Yep. Um, He had other family, but like he lived there. His son lived there. His grandkids lived there. Um, His daughter-in-law lived there. Well, his son had been, uh, you know, a protective order was issued, but his entire life was right there. What yeah. do you think this 73-year-old man has been doing for the past nine years, 10 years, whatever it is? I mean, he, what do you think he did? Like, oh, when man. He left? 
Well, the, the New York Times, they went out and they grabbed like people from those survival shows. Like their article, if you go and read about it, they uh, they got this one guy who um, I think he's the instructor at Adderleaf Wilderness College. And like you basically are given a gun, a knife and the clothes on your back and you have to spend a week in the woods. And like they teach you some stuff ahead of time, like foraging, like, you know, different things that you can eat while you're out there and things that you can get uh, nutrition from. They had this guy from survivor man who is the host of um, uh, the host was um, uh, Les Stroud. They have him talking about how clearly this man was in the woods hunting and like um, he could, you know, take out deer and then live for long periods of time. And I was just like, what are they talking about? Uh, cause you know, I, I look, I, I go with this guy, Dan Keefe. He's a spokesman for, uh, the New York state parks. Um, and at the time that this had all happened, I think it had been like a year, maybe a year and a half. He said, I don't think anyone is living in this park. He said, I think you need to go and visit this park to understand why no one would be living in this park. But what was like really weird about it all is people truly believed that somehow Eugene survived December in a park in upstate New York at 73 years old. <laughs> I, I'm just saying like, if you okay, at 73 years old, December and January in a park, in upstate New York. Right. So he's diabetic. Um, and like people that are diabetic, they have to take insulin for a reason. I and can't imagine that. Like, so you would have to do so much planning. Like, okay. Even if you're just, this is not a first degree murder overall. I mean, it might be, but the intent. He was charged moments. with second degree murder. Right. The, so, it would take a first degree murder in my head to plan ahead for all the medication needs and the shelter. Well, I find um, a lot of times as far as the charging of, you know, what they end up with the warrant for, I don't, I don't think it always reflects the crime necessarily. No, and that's come up with us a lot recently where we know that they're saying first degree murder investigation when they really mean, we don't know what happened yet. We're going to go with worst case. They always want to aim as high as possible. Um, because if you're going to do something, why not? Right. Um, I feel like that's, uh, it causes, uh, a lot of, problems i think as far as like uh why why do you always want to get the person on the very worst thing right oh because they're criminals well yeah sometimes uh they are and then sometimes you're just a man whose daughter-in-law pissed you off yeah and uh not a danger to anybody there he I, I would say, based on him being diabetic, I don't know what the situation was, but yeah, he can forage for food, and you know his insulin levels are going to be crazy, and he probably slipped into a diabetic coma and died like pretty quick. Yeah, I, I think just the stress of what was happening there. I don't, um, I don't see him having lived. I and I did not look up September uh, the last week of September. 
uh, for like the weather and stuff. But I, you know, I'm assuming it's on the chillier side, maybe not so far out of summer that it's like, it's just fall there. It'd be cold. And I don't, I don't picture somebody being able to, even younger people, fitter people aren't going to be able to survive as long after that type of stressful event in that type of environment. Well, and who wants to survive for that long after you've just killed your grandchildren's mother? It's also traumatizing for him because no matter what he expected to happen there. It didn't turn out the way that he thought it was going to as far as the relief he thought he might feel. Sometimes people get so bottled up, they just have to do something, right? Yep. And... Unfortunately, some a lot of times it makes the situation so much worse, which is what happened here. And I'm not trying to be like rude about saying, you know, this was a waste of resources for the FBI to get involved in this. But I mean, really, it is. We have way worse situations happening. And, you know, if there was even the slightest chance that he really was like a, a an armed and dangerous individual, I would change my mind. But he, there's no evidence at all, right? That no, was, there's not. That there was anything more happening here than possibly self-defense. And at the very worst, like, it was a domestic fight. Um, because they lived on the same property, I would say, you know, it's domestic. Uh, my kid walked through and um, it said from the picture, Santa Claus is wanted. Santa Claus is wanted. That's funny. Because he kind of looks, this guy looks very non-threatening too. I mean, on top of all the other problems. You know, um, it kind of sucks. And I I feel like he encompassed all of that. But like, no matter what he did in life, like this is what he did on the way out of life. And it's all he's going to be remembered for. Yeah. And that sucks. You know, because... Everybody can lose their temper. Everybody can get mad and, uh, you know, do something they regret. Uh, I I can feel his rage, but um, I would hate to know that I was, you know, 73 and I just killed somebody and that was going to be my legacy. I mean, he was ashamed of himself. He didn't want anybody to find him. He wasn't going to go on and live his life, though. It's just weird to me that they're still harassing the family in 2021. They shouldn't have done that. I I find that to be um, and that gives me perspective on what they're doing, like at the FBI, right? I can't comment any further on the FBI anymore. I feel like I'm just railing on them at this point. I, I but how is that railing on them? I mean, why are you going after this grandfather's uh, I, granddaughter? That's all it is. It must have been a really slow day at, at the raid office at the FBI there. How is that possible? There's so many things happening that need to be addressed. This is just not at the top of the list. It's wild to me. But I do hope, um, you know, I wonder if they're just like not releasing it. Uh, it's weird, right? That whole like, because I think you're probably right. That probably is his remains, right? It's like 10 miles from his house, give or take. So I don't know how, like, I tr- everything they talk about in the coverage for this case is like a mile from here and a mile from there and a mile from there. And I tried to add it all up and be like, could he have possibly gotten 10 that miles far. away? And he like, absolutely could have, you know, so it's like, it's, it's basically depending on how you look at it, it's, 
it's sort of across the park on the other side. And I could definitely see somebody who had 10 years being able to make that 10 mile trek and not necessarily die. Cause you know, I don't think this guy lived past that Christmas or that Thanksgiving. Even. I think he was probably gone pretty shortly after that. So he really just needs enough gusto left at him to get ever how far this is from the actual location. All right. So that's it for me on this guy. You got anything else on him? No. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at TrueCrimeXS or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com and you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time.
Maybe I'll settle down Maybe I'll just leave town Maybe I'll have some fun Maybe I'll meet someone And make them mine Me, I'll be just fine and dandy Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas I'm better 